0: This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And since it is the Bob Olin Show, let's introduce Bob Olin. Hiya, Bob.
1: Hey, good morning, Dave. (laughs)
0: Happy springtime to you. Yes, boy, did we have a nice day yesterday, finally, even by the lake. We uh, got into the 80s, uh, low 80s yesterday. It felt pretty darn nice.
1: Boy, hard to believe. Take us back two weeks and we are still melting (laughs) snow and wondering if we ever were going to see spring. Things are moving pretty fast. You know, it's rather remarkable we had... All of that moisture. We had all of that snow record snowfalls, no frost in the ground. So yes, in some areas we had some flooding, but most of that's been absorbed and soil temperatures are warming rather dramatically. It's very surprising how how fast these conditions could change. And now actually, on lighter soils, we're a little bit dry up at the two inch level. So wow. it's uh, rather remarkable. We've got some uh, obviously some fire watch warnings out there. We've got smoke in the sky, so mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really filters the sunshine. I imagine it affects the temperature, too, not quite as warm as it would be if it was bright and sunny.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe. Uh, you're right. It, w- it would have been warmer if we hadn't had a little smoke in the sky, but uh, hopefully that get cleared up and... Yeah. We move on. Uh, we have some rain in the forecast, do we, Dave, I believe? Later this week,
0: yeah. It looks like we'll see showers, maybe even thunderstorms uh, Wednesday night, uh, Thursday, and into uh, Friday, as a matter of fact.
1: Right. So here we got Tuesday. And, boy, if people get a chance, uh, mm-hmm. I think you put some uh, some seed in the ground. You want to be a little careful, of course, about some of the frost-sensitive plants that would not be setting out tomatoes or peppers. We're just yeah. mid-May, and we certainly know what can happen at the end of May, <laughs> early part of June. So uh, the weather, if nothing else, is a conversation piece and very unpredictable, without a doubt, Dave.
0: Well, we got a call already this morning, Bob. Let's get to that quickly before we go any further. Hi, who's this? Barb in Duluth. Go ahead, Barb.
1: I
2: have a couple of tomato questions. One is I bought a beautiful cherry tomato plant on Saturday, and I've had it in the garage. I put it out on my deck yesterday, and it was beautiful. This morning I looked at it. It's got pink stuff all over it.
1: Oh, boy. uh, Describe that a little bit more closely by pink stuff. All the leaves, are you seeing?
2: The leaves, several, almost all of the leaves have pink on them, and it doesn't seem to be anything that I can scrape off. It's just part of the leaf.
1: Um, Can you see anything that looks like a structure? In other words, is it fuzzy on top, or is it actually in the leaf proper?
2: It's in the leaf.
1: It's in it's the leaves. Well, okay,
2: it comes through to the other side. Boy, and some of
1: them. The, Yeah, we might have to take a little closer look at, to know for sure. Whenever, now it's been in the garage, uh, green color everywhere. Do, would you say that it, it's the coloration that's changed from green to light pink?
2: Yep. On most okay. of the leaves.
1: On most of the leaves. Well, it was a beautiful do, plant. Beautiful plant and well-grown, and uh, all of a sudden you've had this change. We brought it out of the sun, and we've got pink color in the leaves. Uh, right. Oftentimes that can be a nutrient deficiency. Uh, I think what I'd be doing on a day like this, now you have to be a l- little bit careful, but uh, you're bringing it outside in the sunlight, are you? I was, yes. During the day?
2: Yes, okay, it was let's on the day.
1: Okay. Uh, you know, we've got to be a little bit careful. Sometimes that exposure to the bright sun uh, can be damaging, and the wind can be damaging. So, I would say a protected location, uh, protected from the wind, protected from the uh, the intense sunlight. Even if it's a shady area, there's going to be plenty of sun out there. But, have you done anything with uh, fertilizer at all?
2: No, not a thing. And I've got six celebrity plants out there that are just fine.
1: And they're just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that it doesn't appear you have any structure, we can have some fungal disease, but we'll we'll generally see something up on the surface itself rather than within the leaf. Looks uh, like it's a nutrient deficiency, perhaps uh, phosphorus or potassium. I would be, I would be getting a uh, water soluble fertilizer, where the second two numbers, you know, you got N, N, P and K, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And uh, these are oftentimes maybe 2310. If you can find a, something like a uh, 51530 or something like that where the second two numbers are going to be higher. Uh, these are water soluble. So you're going to get a small container. You're going to, you're going to be uh, dissolving perhaps a tablespoon in a gallon of water. Follow the instructions. Concentrations uh, vary a little bit on these. I'd water the plant thoroughly first and then I'd make an application with a uh, a high phosphorus potassium fertilizer and see if that doesn't uh bring some of the color back and overcome what appears to be a nutrient deficiency on that particular plant. Will the pink go you know, away then? Hopefully we can grow out of it. That's what you're going to try to do. You're going to try to try to get some new growth there. You're going to try to bring that uh that chlorophyll, the the green component back for you. But oh. uh uh, I think I try that. Don't don't uh, water it first, so we don't have any more damage potentially the roots in terms of uh, some of the salt accumulation. Uh, okay, I have a, another. That's what I would try if it's if it's right inside the leaf, as you say. The leaf coloration has changed rather than uh, something on the outside surface of the leaves.
2: It's on both sides of the leaf in some spots. So, I have another okay. tomato question. My mother always told me to cut off the suckers and the bottom leaves of a tomato plant when you put them in. Is that true?
1: Well, um, you know, we have two different types of tomatoes. We've got uh, what we call indeterminate tomatoes, which grow very, very long, and they sucker very dramatically. And by by suckers, of course, uh, we're referring to these, these stems that come from the joint of a leaf, we call mm-hmm. it the leaf axle or the leaf stalk, where it attaches the main stem right in between. There is what we call a sucker. Now, that will produce another stem. So on, on real aggressive, indeterminate plants, we want to take some of those suckers off. Now, you have celebrity, you mentioned? Yes. Celebrity is, is a determinate. In other words, it grows to a height of three or four feet, and then it flowers and sets, uh, sets bloom and uh, ultimately fruit. That's a determinate. That one we're going to just leave a go- leave alone. So perhaps in your mother's case, a lot of the varieties at that time were indeterminate, so uh, removing some of the suckers was appropriate. A lot of our short-season varieties now, uh, those that we like in our trials and those that we recommend really are determinate. They're a little easier to manage, and uh, they really uh, don't need to be pruned. Some of the real lower leaves, if you ever see incidences where the low leaves are yellow, or perhaps they're spotted, those certainly we could take off. But the suckers themselves, that's these small plants that come from that axle between the leaf and the main stem, uh, on a determinate like your celebrity, you really don't want to take those off. We want to just let that entire plant go and fill in, and it's not going to get so aggressive on you that you would have to remove some of the foliage. Does so
2: that the, the, the answer is country yes, country or no. I, I think
1: with celebrity... I would say again, with your celebrities, let's not worry about it. They, you know, they can stake nicely. You can cage them; they don't get out of hand. And I would just let those go, and uh, but be very, pretty, pretty careful about frost protection because you know here it is mid-May, and we all know what can happen. Surprisingly, toward the end of May, even the first week in June, uh, we oftentimes have a frost, and people get deceived by these very early spring temperatures. Mm.
2: Okay, I was ready to plant, but I guess not.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, you could plant, but uh, make sure you've got a way to protect them. In other words, you got sheets okay. ready. You're going to follow the the temperatures. It might be a little early. In all uh, in all uh, honesty, I think I'd hold back. I'd keep them uh, in a place where you can protect them from colder temperatures, because we've seen this happen time and time again. Our last frost-free date, where the probability of frost gets very low isn't until about June 10th, and that that date's uh, held firm. Uh, We've had frost, heavy frost. We've had them on June 10th. We've had them on June 9th, even within the last couple years. So I I think uh, this can be a little bit deceptive coming into mid-May like this. All right. Okay, Okay.
2: I'll watch them. Thank you.
1: Thank you for the call. That's great. Okay, thank you. Very
0: good. Well, let's take a break. Bob, we'll be back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. It's 925. All right, second portion of the Bob Olin Show is underway. Bob, we're back to the phones again. Hi, who's this?
3: Yeah, this is Bill. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'm down here, uh, Bob, in uh, Twin Lakes, just south of Carlton. I have a couple questions for you.
1: Great. Nice to hear from you, Bill. I bet it's warm this morning down there.
3: It's 71.
1: Amazing. Have you checked soil temperatures by chance? Do you ever do that?
3: Uh, We have not done that, no.
1: Uh, I'd be willing to bet you've got very warm soil temperatures because you had had probably 80 degrees yesterday. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, it was quite warm here yesterday.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, go ahead. We're off to a good season. Go ahead, Bill, with your question.
3: Uh, First, I have two. Um, The first one is the apple trees got griddled. Two apple trees got griddled this winter probably because of the high snow. We were wondering, um, can we transplant in that same location?
1: Oh, you certainly can. So girdled, in other words, uh, you had uh, field mice or voles that got uh, into the bark all the way around the circumference of the stem. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. A hundred percent, we had the um, protection on there, but evidently the snow just got too high.
1: Yeah, it can happen. Unfortunately, you can have a uh, you know you can have a collar or a column around it. They can get up on the top of the stone, get down in there. That can happen, or or sometimes uh, there's a gap between the protection and uh, down down below. So all it takes, I think, uh, you can definitely come into the same location now. I think it is wise. If you were deeply girdled all the way around, people delay a little bit, and they say, well, we think the tree is going to come back, and then actually all of that energy in the buds, the buds will pop, so you're probably going to get some uh, leaf leaves that will emerge there, but don't be deceived because uh, those leaves have to be supported, and, and when, you, uh, when you get a situation where that stem is girdled, we've removed all of the vascular tissue that actually carries sugars down into the roots, so that plant... That tree will definitely die. So I think you definitely take it out of there. Uh, you probably, you know, it's a little difficult to get that main stem if it was a mature tree, so that will take a while to rot down. I think I'd chop that down. You could use a little bit of a high nitrogen fertilizer to break some of that woody material down. You can plant the same general area. You wouldn't want to plant right on top of the old, the old stem, and there's probably a pretty aggressive root system that comes out uh uh, laterally from that. So give yourself a few feet if you can and you certainly can plant. There's going to be no no implications at all, disease or anything of that sort. This is just uh, done more than likely by voles. They do most of the damage for winter trees like that, Bill.
3: Okay Bob, we're going to do that. Uh, uh, next question is we have a, a lilac we planted about four years ago and it's an Asian variety. I don't remember the exact name. And now it's about five feet tall, but it's never flowering. We're thinking of taking it out.
1: No, I don't think I would. I think some of these, uh, we've seen this in some of the new cultivars of, of lilac, where they really delay the bloom. Uh, it takes a while. Uh, let me ask you this question. Do you have multiple stems? In other words, a lot of stems there, or has it? Uh, are you down to just a few stems? Uh, similar to what you planted Uh, a
3: a lot of stems it it has a vigorous green growth
1: vigorous green growth one thing you could try early in the season like this they're probably broken bud for you are they leafed out or beginning to leaf out
3: just starting right now
1: now you might take a little look at some of the real small stems that are emerging and just clip a couple of those off at the ground level so let's let's focus the energy on some of the larger stems and uh, the fact that there's vigorous growth I think we really have to go from this immature to a mature phase and it can be good in the long run uh, because you're going you've got a good good plant that's getting established but it's going to take just a little longer to hit that mature get out of the juvenile phase and it has to get to a mature phase before it'll actually bloom and set Uh, set flowers for you. I'd stay with it. I'd look if there are any real skinny, like 16-inch stems, anything like that, those real narrow ones uh, you could take out and try to focus the energies on the the thicker stems.
3: Okay. Well, I sure wish you would have saved that variety. Can I ask a question for my wife?
1: Oh, certainly.
3: (laughs) She wants to know what apple varieties to replace those two trees with and do you have a plum tree recommendation
1: oh wow that's that's a good question. I think that uh on the apple varieties um it, do you have a favorite you know I, we're always my thought always is uh we want to make sure we have something that's really good and winter hardy uh do you know would you consider yourself zone three or zone four? Are you real cold in the winter
3: we're we're it's four. A,
1: Oh, you're four. Well, if you're four, you know, then you've got the uh, the option of uh, Honeycrisp, obviously, is the one, the Minnesota introduction that everyone would like to grow. Now, that was introduced as a Zone 4 variety. So where you are, if you're Zone 4, uh, Honeycrisp has to be kind of the number one on your list. Do you have the space? Do you have any other trees in the area? Uh, we so have just want to pick just one. We, we have two trees pumpkins.
3: and a cherry tree.
1: Okay, any other apples? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that.
3: Um, a red Regent, and don't we have a Harrelson? No, it was a
1: Harrelson. A
3: Harrelson? A red Harrelson.
1: Okay, a, Har- a red Harrelson or a Harrel Red. Uh, great apple, and that's going to be good in winter hardy. Um, you know, I, you're zone four. I, I think you're going to be real happy with a Honeycrisp there. So that'd be a good choice for you. Another good one from the University of Minnesota is Zestar, Z S T A R. Then we have a we have a, a variety that comes in very early, and you might consider. And maybe you can get two trees in there. You might consider a Prairie Magic. A Prairie Magic uh, came down from the uh, Canadian breeding uh, program in uh, at Morton. And uh, it comes very very early. I've never seen a, uh, an apple variety like that that's so productive, so early. So in the maybe the second year, you're going to have blossoms and you're going to have uh, fruit there. So I think that uh, I think I would consider those. I might start with a Honeycrisp, uh, and then I'd go from there and consider uh, uh, possibly a, a Prairie Magic as well for some of the real early varieties plums. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of a lot of plums. I I would say that. Uh, you know we've got an american plum that that does real nicely uh I think that uh, any uh, any of the plum varieties are a little harder to find so any that you can find they should be good and winter hardy for you okay
3: Do you have to plant two trees for the plums plums to bear fruit
1: We really would like a second tree yes uh and if you can get a there's a, a variety called Toka which is a uh it's basically a pollinator, and uh, one of them should be, uh, should be a toka, E-O-K-A.
3: Well, thanks, so Bob. We if you can really get a couple of
1: plums, it. and if you can really
3: get a toka in the landscape. It. We really appreciate you taking time.
0: Hey, thanks for the call.
3: Well, appreciate
1: you're so kind. It. They're really great questions, and... Uh, I, we have a little bit of Zone Envy, a nice Zone 4, where I happen to be at Zone 3, and here, our, our Honeycrisp just barely makes it. So I think in a Zone 4, uh, you're going to be real happy with Honeycrisp. The other thing you might do, we've got some really nice uh, pears out there that people overlook as well. So you might consider uh, some of the pear varieties as well if you're planting. And uh, here mid-May is an ideal time to do it. So you're, you're on your way, and you're going you're to be off to a good start here. Thanks for the call.
0: Thanks, Bob. All right, we're at 830, make that 937, and we'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. And we're back, more of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, here we are in the middle of May, and I have yet to mow my lawn, so I guess the no-mow May is going strong for me. (laughs) That's just
1: great. There's nothing much there to mow, huh? That's right. Not yet, anyway. Well, (laughs) you may be surprised here. Uh, we got a little rain in the forecast coming, and, you know, people will ask, uh, what is Well, what is the no mow phenomenon? came out of Wisconsin, of course, Appleton, where, um, you know, there were a couple of profs at Lawrence University, and they were really uh, concerned about the uh, flowering plants in the lawn that could pro- provide a potential source of both nectar as well as uh, uh, pollen for some of the pollinating insects, which are very important. A great call there from Bill down in Carlton to the uh, – Uh, putting in a lot of uh, flowering trees. And incidentally, those apples, uh, you can see the buds beginning to form. The leaves have broken out, but the buds are going to be here. I think we're going to have an actual very spectacular bloom. So even though that it's dry on the surface, we've got plenty of subsoil moisture right now, which is going to push bloom like crazy. So just get ready for an explosion of color in our landscapes. They're going to be just beautiful this year. But uh, that being said, so these two profs at Lawrence University in Appleton, they um, they thought it would be a good idea if we didn't mow. And uh, now that's become kind of uh, kind of controversial, and you can see uh, in some situations, municipalities, including Appleton, actually adopted an ordinance. Uh, initially, it was just recommended, and uh, they've adopted the ordinance where they uh, they prohibit mowing. And there are some other smaller communities throughout the Midwest, uh, Minnesota, as well. A couple of them where they actually have ordinances where they don't want you to mow. So that's real interesting because uh, they really are interested in, in providing uh, forage for the uh, pollinating insects. So I think our our mindset has changed quite a bit now. and We've gone from a completely weed-free lawn to a lawn, we want to call them bee-friendly lawns, and I'm really in favor of, of a lot of this. You know about the mow may phenomenon now, if we don't get a lot of growth, now Dave, you said your lawn, Uh, There isn't much grass that's growing. We're off to a slow start that way. The landscapes are green, but we don't have a lot of real aggressive growth. But this can change very quickly. We get some moisture with these warm temperatures, and things can grow very, very quickly, very, very fast. Matter of fact, in the case of most of our lawn species, we've got two flushes in the year. One of the flushes is right now here late spring, and things can take off in a hurry. People will ask, "Well, should I fertilize that lawn in the spring?" You know, fertility needs to be carried in uh, down into the root systems where the plant can take it. We got a nitrogen fertilizer, which is what is the is the principal uh, component for a lawn fertilizer. That and some potassium, no phosphorus in our lawn fertilizers. But it's that nitrogen when we carry it in the roots with it with a rainfall. So if people want to fertilize, no, you're going to get a flush of green that's going to come from it. Uh, You might want to get in underneath this uh, rainy period that we're going to have now. I usually recommend that we want these plants actively growing. So if you mow mow once, then you know those plants are actively growing, and then you can apply uh, your spring application of fertilizer. And that typically will come around a little later in May, but we're so early now, so you might want to go before this rain event that's coming now. Now, if you don't do any mowing at all, and if we get the moisture... And if there's some fertility there, we're going to get a tremendous flush of growth, and it'll be, of course, all of these flowering broadleaves, the dandelions being the ones that are going to jump out. And then you hit June 1, you haven't mowed at all, and now we've got it. We're not going to be mowing. We're going to be haying at this point. We're going to have to cut this back, and that means that you're going to have to if you want to maintain a lawn, now some people are letting areas go completely natural, but most people want a lawn where you can get out, you can enjoy it, you can uh, have your barbecues, you can the kids can uh, play a little uh, soccer or softball or something on that lawn. Uh, then you're going to have to mow it back, which means you're going to have to rake a lot of this extra material off, and it'll have to be composted, hopefully. But if you're mowing... Uh, regularly, but very high. In other words, we really want to, if you mow high, as high as you possibly can with that lawnmower setting, then there's still are flowering uh, plants, broadleaves, that you're not clipping the flowers off below that. So you're kind of getting an uh, in intermediate best of both worlds. Uh, we're clipping some of them off at the top level, but we're leaving those low-stature flowering plants for the pollinating insects. So, a lot of talk about bee lawns. Uh, You might want to incorporate some white clover into your lawn mix. There was a time when, uh, you know, people would use a lot of herbicides and try to get rid of all the clover as well as uh, all of the flowering uh, plants. Now, that's changed that mindset a little bit. But a lot of the bee lawn mixes, uh, the components are not hardy for us in this area. Now, Last year was the exception. We had so much snow so early, and we kept uh, warm temperatures very early. We probably could have brought any one of these uh, species through the winter that aren't Mm. typically hardy. But we'll get open winters where you want the most hardy species. So at this point, my thought is you want a bee-friendly lawn. Let's get a a low-stature clover, a white clover, just a red clover, you know, is going to flower when it's real tall, and typically uh, those flowers won't be available in the lawn, so you want a low stature white clover that you can, and then set your mower high, clip maybe an inch uh, off the top, and let those clippings lie. When we let the clippings lie and they decompose uh, on the turf surface, we get some nitrogen that's reincorporated in, we can minimize the amount of nitrogen that we have to apply, and then also as this material breaks down, uh, we increase the uh, organic component fraction or the tilt of the soil. So there are a lot of real good benefits in mowing high, mowing relatively frequently, so we don't have to rake a lot of this material off. We just let the clipping lie. So uh, this is going to go on, I'm sure, for quite a while. There will be quite a bit of discussion about it. But, uh I think uh, probably coming in, we're going to monitor your lawn. We'll use it as an example, Dave. But uh, I think uh, with this rain, you're going to give us a report next week and see if that uh, if that yeah. grass hasn't responded. And then you're going to have to make that decision. Should I mow or should I let it go?
0: What, what I did in the past, and I probably will this year too, is mow most of the lawn but leave a patch for the bees with a little signage saying, Bees, this part's for you. Yeah, and then they can absolutely. go right to what's, you know, the dandelions that are left there, and, and the rest of it can be mowed down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All and, right. you know, uh, a lot of people are taking some of that turf area out. They're putting in uh, uh, flowering gardens, or whether they mm-hmm. be perennials or whether they be uh, some of our edibles or vegetable gardens, but leaving an area undisturbed right, uh, where you're not doing any killing. Actually, the native bees, we got about 400 species. They really wow. prefer an undisturbed area that's where they're going to overwinter and you can just let all the plant material let it go wild. Uh, most people who will water lawn won't want to let their whole yard go wild but just a portion mm-hmm. and that's not a bad approach that you got there Dave. Yeah, because.
0: you can have the front yard looking really spiffy for the neighbors and in the back where the you know <laughs> you can leave that for the bees.
1: Right. But is isn't it interesting how this awareness has changed yeah. and I think with some of the environmental awareness and I think for lots of good reasons, uh, maybe a little less turf and uh, a little bit more of these native natural areas uh, makes good sense for a lot of a lot of reasons.
0: All right, we'll take a break, and uh, it is about 9.49 now, y'all, More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. And we're back, another portion of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, uh, we can actually get things in the ground now, and as you mentioned earlier, I suppose you can put the tomatoes out too if you've got a way to protect them in case it gets cold.
1: Yeah, I think that's where you have to really be careful. I think frost-sensitive potatoes, peppers, eggplant, mm-hmm. anything like that, you've got to be really careful. Uh, we are very early yet. Yeah. But uh, certainly you can direct seed. Now uh, we take a look at the salad crops, uh, certainly radishes and uh, lettuce, and uh, peas certainly can go in the ground. They're going to jump real quickly right now, so mm-hmm. there's lots of those types of crops. Um, You know, direct seeded, uh, you probably, uh, you know, get your beets in and and carrots and other things. So there's plenty you can do now uh, just before this rain, but there's lots of time, so you don't need to rush it. I think, you know, Dave, if you plan on putting shrubs in or if you plan on putting in a a new tree, we talked, uh, we had some apple tree questions there. Uh, This is an ideal time, so rather than, um, if you only have so much time available, I think I'd probably get those plants in the perennial material, if you're going to put some new uh, flowering perennials in, and get them in the ground in May here, that really makes real good sense. Be a little careful, again, frost-sensitive transplants. uh, We've seen this happen time and time again, where we get surprises nice and warm, and we think we've got climate change working, and then all of a sudden we get one of these real uh, it was only about two, three years ago where we had not a frost, we had a freeze. We had temperatures down in the low 20s and, uh, so many people lost so much material and that, that really surprised us all. So, we'll watch the temperatures and watch the forecast. Buy your plants and then let them, protect them for a while. Move them outside during the day. Uh, um, leave them out if the temperature looks like it's going to be warm. And then, but don't put them out in the ground unless you really are capable of, uh, of protecting them with, with at least one or two layers of a, of a fabric of one tip or another, but a lot of other things. Working on the lawns, I think, is uh, is fine and appropriate at this point. We've dried down, uh, getting those garden soils re- ready to go. I think uh, that's a good idea. Got a great sponsor there in our sanitary district with their compost product. We can spend a little time making sure we've got those gardens uh, cleaned up, ready to go, uh, where you're going to put the tomatoes. So there's plenty to do out there to get out in a nice uh, sunny day like this. And enjoy, but don't rush a few things uh, too early yet. Here, Dave.
0: Now, the the shrubs and the trees—they're okay with the frost.
1: Oh yeah. As okay. a matter of fact, I think that uh, I would be focusing if you're going if you're planning on putting in an apple tree or a flowering shrub of one type or another. Maybe you've seen some beautiful azaleas and watch our landscapes for scythia are coming mm. out now. They're going to be just uh, filled with burnt color. These are the types of things that you want to get in. In early May, if you possibly can, don't have to worry about any risk of frost. Uh, uh, we could get those in as, as soon as we can get them in the ground. And this year, there wasn't any frost in the ground, so uh, we <laughs> could get off uh, very early with a lot of these things, Dave.
0: Bob, I noticed the farmer's market was open for crying out loud last weekend.
1: Yeah, we're opening up there, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be another good good year there. And they've got there they've got the transplants for you. We've ah. got uh, folks that are growing those out and, uh, and a variety of things. And, of course, it'll get better and stronger as we move through the entire growing season and we get into uh, uh, the month of July, certainly. But it's nice. There's lots of activity. The uh, St. Louis County Master Gardeners are going to be down there with a a question-and-answer booth. So there's Ah. a lot of activity Wednesdays, 2 to 5, and then uh, Saturdays, of course, from 8 until noon.
0: All right. Fantastic. Bob, I guess we could wrap things up here this morning, but you'll be back again next Tuesday. I against... guess very,
1: well, very definitely will, and we want to see uh, just what your progress is on your, mm. your no-mo, uh, go-slow proposition <laughs> there at your lawn, Dave.
0: And don't forget, you can always catch uh, the Bob Olin Show online. It's a podcast. It's available online for you anytime. Just go to KDAL610.com, and you'll find the podcast there. All right, Bob, have a good rest of the week, and we'll catch you next week.
1: Same to you, and enjoy the rain when it gets here,
0: Dave. All right, we'll check that forecast. That's coming up next here on kdal The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located inside Dan's Feed Bin on Hammond Avenue in Superior, and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Pet Nutrition Center in Lakeside across from the Lake Walk.